your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan. Unfortunately, no Alex with us again today. Following Everton's 3-2 loss against Brentford at Goodison Park, it was just the fourth match in Premier League history to see a first-half red card, an own goal, and a penalty. And Everton, with the 3-2 loss, have conceded 59 goals this season, joint most in a 38-game campaign since 2000. Slash 2001. In addition, with this loss, Everton have lost seven of their last 10 Premier League home games against newly promoted sides. Is that good? No, it's that's not bad. good, is it? It's not very good, no. What is good, and before we get into the match reaction, which will obviously be uh, not the best match to watch, not the most positive reaction, but it is a special occasion today as it is officially the 300th episode of the American Toffee Podcast. So before we get into all of the good stuff. Just wanted to give a sincere thank you to everyone who has listened to the show, regardless of whether you started listening way back when it was just Alex trucking along on his lonesome, or you started listening last week. We appreciate you listening and participating in our community, and we couldn't have done it without you, and it's been you know a wild ride, especially this season, but means a lot to us, the support we're getting, and um, yeah, just wanted to say that. So Thanks to all of you for making this possible. We appreciate it. And if you enjoy the show, appreciate you also leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. You can find all of our links to social media at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And a reminder to join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Links in the description. Enough said about that, Ryan. Let's get into instant match reactions. Deflating results. We were ahead of the match, of course, 90 minutes away from securing our Premier League safety. We failed to do so, making things very difficult. Your thoughts on today? Well, first of all, I want to thank our listeners, too. They've been amazing. And the community, I think, that's been kind of gone along with it has been awesome. Um, really appreciate everyone. It's been nice to get to know some people personally, too. Uh, they're, they're even better people than I would have thought they would have been. Uh, it's amazing what a community Everton is. And that's why it's tough to watch. Things like this happen to a community that's so so good. I mean, the 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 atmosphere looked like it was amazing again. Fans are never at fault. My goodness, they've really rallied around it. I think the instant reaction was, there's so much to talk about in this match. It was so crazy, but ultimately, um, I, I think I have always said that I thought these last three games are going to be very difficult. I think Brentford is a very good side. I'm um, not sure the game really played out like anyone would have drawn it up to be but I, i'm not entirely surprised we lost the match it was just in the way it, we lost was just so confusing and strange it's it's difficult to really kind of point fingers um but it was one where i mean a draw would have been massive too um but the good part was that we were helped out by other sides today going into it thank goodness yeah most definitely look this was a roller coaster of an, an emotional match for the fans in the stadium, look, you had the firework display outside of the Brentford Hotel. Yet again, you had the fans lining Goodison Road, welcoming the coach. This time, it seemed like, if possible, there was even more blue smoke than there was before the Chelsea match. It was an incredible showing, again, from the fans, and certainly not the result that they deserved. But one that, look, when you go down a man in the 18th minute, 
it is always going to be a huge ask to see any kind of result out. And we gave it a go, but in the end, you know, some refereeing decisions, I think some tactical decisions and just some persistence from Brentford or enough to get them over the line before we get into the tactical setup in the lineups. Just to, we'll give partial credit on the score predictions. No one technically got the score prediction right, but Mersey Blue and Sludvigs got the <clears throat> score right. They were regrettably optimistic about Everton being on the right side of the 3-2, but you'll get a partial credit and a shout-out on the pod for your efforts. And with that, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about the visitors today. Brentford's lineup, as you said, they are a good side. They are a very well-run footballing organization, and maybe don't get quite the level of respect that they deserve. They will. Over time, look, the smart guys win eventually. It's just how it works, man. You see Brighton doing it today. Um, Brentford are next. These are intelligently run football clubs. They don't have any of the built-in advantages that we have at Everton, and they're still making a go of it, and they're they're a good side. Um, The other thing that we see so often when we tend to be on the, the wrong side of things is we're playing the same lineups every time, you know? So Brentford, again, same lineup as their 3-0 win against Southampton. And they've won four of six. Uh, their only loss was against Manchester United at Old Trafford. I happen to be at that match. And they created plenty of chances, too. They just couldn't quite get on the end of them. Uh, their danger guys are Mbumo um, and Tony. Tony is exceptional in terms of a score. Both love to run behind. I remember saying before in the Discord, said the one thing we have to take away from these guys is we cannot let them run behind us and run into space. Uh, Mbumo in particular loves to get wide on that side. Mikalinko, I knew, would have his hands full. Tony is just a beast. He's a physical monster, and his first touch is really good. He loves to flick people on. He can work in traffic. Um, and Erickson is really their danger guy. You know, he's their super creative force. Uh, Jansen's good too. I mean, he can pass. He can make th- some things happen. And Norgard is a really solid midfielder. They're not super athletic though. Uh, their defense is not great. I wouldn't say any of their center halves are really particularly impressive. But look, they're ninth in the league in expected goal differential. They're a good side. Now, you could score on them. They've given up 52 goals. I mean, that is a lot. Um, And even today, even though they lined up in 4-3-3, they often really play three center halves. And ultimately, that's what they do. Ager kind of plays out on the right. um, And Rico Henry just pushes up the whole time, almost like a winger. And he's an exceptional athlete. And um, De Silva was hurt. He's off the bench. He's another key player for them. I I think if he's healthy, you probably play him a little bit more. And Wiss is pretty athletic on the left side. So, look, these guys are a good team. They pass well. They're smart. Um, And we had a lot of changes to our lineup. And I think it would have been hard, James, to look at that lineup and say, oh, we got this one. Um, Even if you did underestimate Brentford. I also didn't even mention Daniel Raya. He's a really good keeper. Yeah, and on the other side, we have Everton. Uh, Frank electing to make three changes to the lineup. He introduces Andre Gomez. We have the return of Dominic Calvert-Lewin to the starting lineup. And Jared Branthwaite as, a, assuming a bit of a last-minute inclusion, as reportedly Michael Keane was sick overnight. Uh, thankfully, it seems like it's not going to be a lengthy uh, time out of the side for Michael Keane. Should be back for the Palace game on Thursday. But get, Fabian Delph picked up a knock, not fit. Michael Keane obviously drops, and Damari Gray drops as well. And look, I saw the lineup. Frankly, anytime I see Andre Gomez in a two-man midfield, I become absolutely terrified because it leaves a ton of work for Abdullah Decore to do in addition to guys like Alex Awobi and Mikolenko having to having their hands full already with their wide players you can imagine there's probably going to be a lot of exploitable space in the middle which we did see 
And so with that Everton lineup, and then, you know, Branthwaite's just an unproven article. I know a lot of people are encouraged by the promise he has shown, but we all know what happened this match. That was perhaps a tad unlucky, but that lack of experience in the heart of defense, alongside Mason Holgate, who can be a bit of a loose cannon, you just fear for the lack of stability, and it turned out to come back to bite us. Yeah, you look at those two center halves, and you have every reason to be concerned. Uh, Positionally, those two midfielders in a two is just kind of comedy. I can't believe Frank didn't think about at least changing up the formation to deal with that, but I get it. You know, we've been playing this way, and at a minimum, we've reduced chances uh, against our opponents. Um, but look, I mean, you could see how he set us up. We were on the front foot early. Now, that concerns me because I, I, every time we've been on the front foot early, Spurs, even Burnley, Leicester the first time, we looked really good for 10, 15 minutes, and then they finally figured us out, passed through us, and absolutely torched us. And so, I mean, we haven't won a single match like that all year. When we beat Manchester United, we weren't in a five, but we were in a four in the back. We were playing 4-1-4-1 in defense, and we shut them down. We did the same thing with Liverpool, even though we didn't win. And how we beat Leicester and Chelsea, of course, same way. You know, we sat back. And so we didn't see as much of this, but I think there is some logic to it. I mean, the idea is you're trying to get on their players quickly so that they can't play those long outlet passes. If you don't give them time on the ball, they can't do that. And then hope you maybe nick a couple early and put pressure on them. Brentford's weakness is their back line. It really is. They're not great. They're not amazing on the ball. Um, You can pressure on them and create some chances, but I can't help it, James. Look at the people behind them and think. That being said, what do you do here if you're Frank, James? I mean, I think it's a fair question. So look, if Henri is going to play in the two, that's a discussion we'll get to in a second. He's almost better pushing upwards and putting pressure on people. And so is Decore. And okay, Mason Holgate's pretty pretty quick, likes to play aggressive. He fills in the gap. But then you got JB there too. And JB is not, is he really going to be comfortable playing higher? So it's almost like no matter what you do, you're kind of stuck. Um, I don't know. Brentford was very compact. Henry's really their only guy pushed up, taking care of with. Erickson's roaming free. Um, and HR kind of tucks inside to deal with Richie, and he's six four, six five. So it's actually a pretty good matchup for for Brentford in many ways, especially when you look at our lineup. So, um, so I guess the positive was in that five, four, one, there wasn't much space between the center forwards and, and the center mids. So that was good, right? We kind of fixed that because I think that was an issue against Watford very much. But conversely, I think as a result, there were some gaps to exploit behind the center mids and the back line. But, but, but look, I mean, once the cards started flying, this kind of all went through the window, didn't it? Yeah. Like the, it's almost, futile to try to assess kind of the first 20 minutes we'll talk about the events and you as you rightly say Everton firmly on the front foot during that period but then you are forced to completely reevaluate everything that you had planned for the game plan goes out the window and it's just how are we going to survive the next 70 minutes and you look at the attack you know when Everton did choose to attack we went fairly balanced yet again 40 percent down the left 37 percent down the right and 23 down the middle and as you said Ryan Brentford pretty content to utilize the lefts, their left side with Henry, with Erickson sort of in the middle, drifting wide into those areas, and Wissa as well. Um, they attacked 50% down the left and then about 25% down the middle and right, respectively. So that's kind of Brentford's style and what we can come to expect. And then you look at the, you know, how did we do with defending and forcing them to take shots from less than threatening areas? Not great. You know, they had 17% of their shots from inside the six, 56 from inside the 18 and less than 30% from outside of the box. But on the other hand, Everton got shots. We had good shots in good areas as well. 50% from inside the 18, 20% from inside the six. The chances we did create 
were somewhat threatening. Unfortunately, the majority of them came before we went a man down. And after that, they were very few and far between those still some moments where you felt like we could have put one in the back of the net, snuck one past them. That was it. I mean, we, we generated most of our chances very early. I mean, once things started to happen, we generated almost nothing, but that's kind of to be expected. Brentford's smart. They're composed. They're very good tactically. They all know their roles. Thomas Frank's been there for a while. And that's what happens when you play against a healthy and organized team. And I think that's ultimately what we saw. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is we're playing a lot of long balls, um, a lot of hoof ball and Dominic Calvert-Lewin looked healthy. So you thought that might work. Richie was up there with him as well. And, and once you went down, you didn't want to totally forgive any sort of attack. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to do too much of an analysis. I thought we were more aggressive than we probably needed to be. I thought we were wide open. Is the red card indicative of that? We'll get to that in a second. But ultimately, that's hard to say, you know, because you didn't have, it's not like the Spurs match where then you had the rest of the match to play out and watch us get killed as a result. So anyway, before we get into the timeline, though, James, let's take a little little bit of a break for a word or two from our sponsors. All right, we're back, Ryan. Let's get into it. Jump right into the match. I mean, just another word on the pre-match atmosphere again. Goodison rocking. The rafters were shaken. The fans certainly brought their A game, and Everton brought their A game right out of the gate. It was pretty electric. I mean, in the first 10 minutes or so, we had six shots to their one. Richarlison had a couple of very decent opportunities to score. Looked like we were poised to really at least... Take the initiative here, and of course, you know Anthony Gordon in the third minute flicks one. It's a shot. Richie has a header. Richie with the shot with his left foot that was just wide. He looked at the races, no question, and nothing strikes fear into opponents' hearts more than a very motivated and focused Richarlison. Um, but the 10th minute is where things really start to get interesting, and that is, of course, with Everton scoring one of the, as the announcers dubbed it, I think ugliest goals of the season. Would you agree with that characterization, Ryan? I mean, no, I wouldn't actually. That's a ridiculous comment. I mean, that's like Rebecca Love <laughs> saying before the match that Anthony Gordon probably been Everton's best player. Like, are you uh, just, do you have to make it so obvious you're just winding people up at this point? No, actually, I thought this was quite a good bit of skill. I mean, look, Anthony Gordon makes a great play to pounce on it and use his speed to, to pressure them and uh, draws the foul. I, I kind of first thought, just keep going, man. Don't take the foul there because it looked like he could have got to the ball. But, I mean, you get a yellow card on Beck. That's actually a very important event looking at it later. The set piece wasn't the greatest, but it did find the first guy. And, look, the one thing that I don't think people realize is, you know how hard it is to hit a ball that's going past you with your strong foot? Now, Richarlison didn't crack the thing, but he got enough on it for it to trickle by. That is so hard to do. Like, I don't think people realize the amount of timing and coordination it requires to do that, especially with a guy in your back. So, no, I don't think that was an ugly goal in any way, frankly. That was a tremendous bit of skill. Now, yes, it went off Dom's chest, went in. Good for him. I'm sure he gets a goal bonus from that. That's probably why I pointed it out at the half line that, hey, yep, it's mine, my goal. Um, but look, I mean, I, did we deserve to be up at that point? Maybe. I mean, we're all over them. There's no question about it. Look, shout out to the Bobblers, too, by the way. They've been a huge part of setting this atmosphere. And people have followed the blue smoke bomb train because there was thrown all over, blue smoke everywhere. People were completely fired. It looked like Goodison was absolutely about ready to take off at this point. And even right after this, James, I thought we looked really good. 
Yeah, we looked really. I was so nervous, though. Totally. I mean, I was. You know what I mean? Because I was thinking, like, oh, are we getting? You know, I felt like Andre's pushed up a little bit high. So was Decorey. I'm thinking, eh, I'm not liking this too much. But we looked good. I mean, we looked front foot. We looked. There was a chance that we could just go out and just blow these guys' doors off. You know what I mean? Totally. And you, you know, but you saw some of the signs, right? There, there was a little bit too much space in the middle of midfield. I thought Andre Gomez was caught in just mm-hmm. acres of empty space, not really pressuring or marking anyone off the ball early. But we did have. About even possession. Yeah, and you can't get on them every time. Like, you know, there's going to be some time they can release the ball. I mean, you can pressure so much, there's going to have a moment or two. It's just, can they produce quality in those moments? And you can't keep this up forever, so I I get that too. But I I just don't, it's hard to say what happened in the 18th minute, what that's really a byproduct of, though. But it was, I mean, it's really a a variety of mistakes. I don't know how much of it's tactical or not. I'm kind of curious your take on on it. Yeah, so in in the 18th, we have this, complete debacle of a moment right we have the ball coming into the box and it's Richarlison fighting for it he gets his shirt grabbed nearly ripped off I think we can discuss whether we think it was a clear penalty or not but certainly one that we were shouting for and then Brentford effectively just hoof it clearance long and we have the screenshot here of kind of average positioning or where the players were at the time that the ball was launched but we all know what happened Jared Branthwaite is sucked up way too high in the pitch. Tony doing what he does well and what Brentford's main attack focus is, is getting in behind. He allows Tony to get on the wrong side of him. And when he's in on goal, the way the ball hits the ground, Branthwaite clips him. Tony knows exactly what he's doing here. Goes down. Oliver immediately reaches for his pocket. Straight red card. And it all happened so fast that it was just kind of bewildering how we could have gone from seemingly ready to score our second goal to all of a sudden being a man down with 70 minutes left to play. But it was, I think a combination of poor refereeing. I think it's probably a foul and probably a penalty, but you don't really get those for shirt pulling in the Premier league. And he doesn't like, you know, yank him down. Maybe Richarlison should have gone down more easily, but the other pieces again, Tony is completely alone leading Brentford's line. How does he get on the wrong side of three defenders and basically be in on goal from that position on the pitch? It just is inexplicable and it speaks to kind of a lack of positional awareness and discipline. So first let's talk about the non penalty call. You go to VAR. Is that, a, is that a red for, or is that a penalty for you? Yeah. I, I, you know what? At first I didn't think so. Cause at first I'm kind of like, man, people pull each other's shirts all the time. You watch it. I mean, his shirt is down below his shoulder. His shoulder. Yeah. Now, now here's a question for you. Now, if Richarlison goes down, does it help the call? Number one. Number two, do we not get the call because we've been diving all year? I think those are very interesting because I think it's garbage that Richarlison gets accused of being a diver. I know he does go to ground at times, but he also gets clobbered. To me, if I go back and look at that, I've seen that given this year, too. I've absolutely seen the shirt grab given, and that's as blatant a shirt grab as you can have without the player going down. And to me, at first I was like, nope. The second I watched it again a couple times, I'm thinking, you know what? That is a red. That, that's not a red. That's an absolute penalty. It's an absolute penalty to me, uh, 100%. And maybe if he separates a little bit better, it, it seems different. But, yeah, I kind of go back and, and say, you know, and the other thing I'll say is I can't help to say it. Does another team get that as a penalty? Knowing what happened, knowing it went back down, knowing this is an opportunity for the guy in the booth. Who's in the booth, do you know? No, I don't off the top of my head. I'm going to check it. But One anyway, of the, the point ones. is. <laughs> well, that that's really narrowing it down. Uh, but but the point is, like, 
if that's one of the bigger clubs and you have a chance to step in here and right the wrong, so to speak, I cannot help but think they're getting the call and we're not. And maybe all our complaints about the refereeing all year, is that coming back to bite us? I'm curious your take. Then we'll talk about the embarrassing defensive play on us. Yeah, I have two thoughts on it. One, I think that whatever the call on the field was, was going to stand either way. So Oliver is staring right at it. The fact that he elects not to give it, I think makes it really hard to go in and then say, this is clear and obvious error. Well, um, it doesn't, but yes, the way we've done it this year, sadly, yes. it's probably true. It shouldn't, but I think it does in reality. The second piece, and we haven't really talked about this, wondering what your thoughts are, Ryan. I know this shouldn't be the case, but does the fact that it would also overturn the red on Branthwaite to give a penalty there because it all happened so fast impact because then it becomes such a an even more monumental moment where you're reversing the call to award a penalty on one end and then having to wind back the red card call for the Branthwaite foul on Tony. I think that that maybe adds a little bit of a uh, another layer to things. It certainly makes it a massive call. I, I can't yeah. deny that. But to me, if you were to look at just fairness of the play overall, oh, it's tough. It's it's hard to really not. It's hard to take off your Everton hat on this one, really, because it yeah. is you're so hard done by it. Um, that being said, you know another element also says to me, this is our fault. Like, fine, let's say they don't score on the back end. We would all be up in arms and complaining about the shirt pull. But I think because they score on the other end or get the red card. Um, you know, get the red card, not score because they, in essence, get the red card. I think that's the one that draws the attention that much more to the shirt pull. I'm sure people would have done screenshots and claim corruption, which may or may not be the case, but I think this is the moment that ultimately magnifies it that much more. Um, now if Michael Oliver knew that that would have translated into a red card on the other end, would he have called the shirt and, and called the penalty right away? If he could see the future, I, I don't know, but let's talk about the defensive play here. Can you possibly think of any, any reason? I mean, Tony is by himself by 25, 30 yards. There's no one around him. It's not like any other attackers, anyone, anyone has to deal with. And you've in essence got virtually three center halves back there, Coleman, Brantwaith, and Holgate. How in God's green earth can you let a guy get behind you? I mean, Jared is way in front of the circle when the ball comes out. I, I don't I don't understand that in any way, shape, or form. I mean, Jared Brantwith is pretty fast straight ahead, but how can you let him get behind you? I, I cannot think of any possible reason why he should not be standing on the 50. He should be standing right at the midline. There's absolutely no reason. I, I don't understand that at all. To me... I. And I think questions should be asked. I mean, is that just a rookie, a kid getting ball watched or ball watching? There's that on Frank. Like that clearly has to be your bigger focus. You've got three guys back there, at least two center halves. Like how is Holgate not over there on him too? What is he doing? He's just floating around. I, it's, it's so bad on so many levels. It's the type of positioning error mistake that you make either because you have a bunch of injuries and you got a kid in there or for teams that go down. It's that bad mistake. Yeah. And the other thing is too, when the ball bounces, Jared takes a wrong line anyway. He's slightly off. He kind of runs back to the ball. I wonder if he went straight to the goal. It's only probably a five or ten yard angle difference. I wonder if he can get in front of Tony. I, I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is, you don't have to take him down there either. Yeah. So I think his attempts to jump kind of back behind him to get over a goal side is just, that's also just crazy. It's There's so many bad about it. I just, 
I don't understand how you lose the guy to begin with. He's the easily the best player on the other team. I just, it's madness yeah. to me. I, I can't say enough bad about it, sadly. It's inexcusable. And then I, I don't think there's a dispute from either of us that it was, in fact, a red card for, you know, a clear chance and he 100%, should have 100%. been sent off. You got to call So you some people say, you, have you know, call it should be yell. Yeah, you have to. He has no choice. <laughs> it's unfortunate just the circumstances that led to it, but specifically around the long ball getting beat. I think that that's a defensive error and we have no one to blame but ourselves. And it's a kid and I don't want to put too much, you know, be, be too mean to him, but it's an incredibly costly mistake and came back to bite us. Um, and, and the thing is, after that moment, ki- yeah, yeah, completely. After that moment, everything changes, right? Yes, right. I mean, yeah, I mean, just look at the, I mean, look at the numbers, right? I mean, they're, they're massive. The one thing we were doing really well is taking a decently good passing team, Brentford. They like to play long balls though, so it's not like they're super possession oriented, but I mean, 69% pass success for Brentford before, afterwards, 88. I mean, they ate us up afterwards, you know what I mean? Because there's no pressure on them. We had to sit back. That's all we could do. So we reverted back from our entire game plan, which may have been correct or incorrect at the time. And does anyone feel comfortable with DeCorey and Andre Gomes and a two sitting back? With 10 men? 10 men. And it was just, yeah, it was just try desperately to see this out. And Brentford from the red card to half had nearly 80% possession, seven to three in shots. And you mentioned the passing statistics that said we had, maybe we did have three shots though. I mean, that was actually yeah. kind of surprising in a way. I mean, Andre, this bomb he had in the 36 was impressive, by the way, it was a rip and you know, he's taking kind of outside the box and he sees, he doesn't really have anyone to pass to. So he just decides Left to foot. rip one. Raya makes a really good dive. And the fact that he's able to catch this is pretty crazy. remarkable. Yeah, and of course, right after that. Think about it. These are the dumb little things, man. If he just deflects that out, what happens? Probably what happens afterwards, it doesn't go back the other way, right? I mean, it's right. just, those are the little things, man, that can make such a difference. And, th- and that's part of the issue here. We're, we're dealing with such fine margins. We're not clearly better than these teams. So, you know, a couple little breaks go against us in a three-game span. That's a lot. There's a lot that can happen there from a luck standpoint. That's that's football, yeah. right? But then we get right into the 37th. And the thing is, I was thinking at this time, us sitting back, maybe not with Andre, but I was thinking us sitting back kind of takes away some of the things that they're really good at. Um, and I was hoping we could get to halftime still up 1-0 and kind of reshuffle and reorganize and still be ahead. It didn't quite play out that way. I'm curious your take on Brentford's goal in the 37th. Now, it starts off the corner, of course. So we're a little yep. bit out of sorts. So you can't, you know, it's hard to get too too critical on kind of the tactical setup off the corner, right? And it's a great through ball by Jansen. You know what I mean? And the cross goes all the way under Holgate. I mean, is that him? So Wiss has got the ball here. And I, I, I mean, he's allowed to take two touches, kind of settle the thing. It's still pretty unlucky, I guess. I mean, is this is this on Andre? Is this on Seamus? Um, is Pickford too far out? I, I just... A lot of little things seem to go wrong here. It was kind of unfortunate. I'm curious your take. Yeah, just looking at the screenshot and like if you go back and watch the highlight, you know, I'm thinking live watching the game, there's no way we could concede from this position unless they do something crazy. And unfortunately, it's, yes, a little bit on Andre who has him kind of corralled so he can only go towards the touchline. And then it's Seamus right on the edge of the six yard box. It obviously takes the deflection off of him because of the body angle and the approach he takes when trying to square up to the ball. And so it's unlucky. We were fortunate on the ball right before that, that no one was able to get on the end of it. And Brentford were kind of just slicing it through our box quite a bit. But again, it's just fine margins. If that deflection goes a slightly different angle, it goes out of bounds and we're defending another corner. 
It doesn't. Pickford, well beaten into the back of the net. Brentford go level, and at this point, you know, my thought was, okay, well, we fought off the equalizer for a time. They've now equalized. They're going to now go on, push through, take the lead, and then it's, you know, they're out of the gate and there's no no catching them. It, of course, didn't quite work out that way. But, Ryan, any other thoughts on the equalizer for Brentford? I mean, Andre actually takes a good route to him because it kind of prevents that that low pass back to the spot, which is you know such an easy way to score. Although maybe DeCorey's jumping out, he could deal with it. I, I think Seamus's body angle's wrong. He's almost playing it like he's a right back coming out on someone, but not really being aggressive, playing center half, which is right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's got his body pivoted like he's playing him off to his left, which is not what you want to do when you're center half and you're you're looking to maybe block a shot because ultimately you're running the risk that. It deflects off your body and goes back towards the goal. I, I don't like how Pickford gets so far kind of in front of his near post sometimes on these plays, but I, this is pretty unlucky. Uh, it would have taken a tremendous kind of reaction to get at it. I don't think he can do much. I think it's a lot of bad luck here, and, you know, it's part of it's a byproduct. Seamus Coleman playing right right center half, really. Um, yeah, but I'm with you. How surprising. I mean, we got a total lifeline here in the extra time of the first half. Um, and it changed a lot of attitudes and minds and thoughts going into halftime. You know, a lot of our offense was being derived at this point when we're down, just hoofing it up to Dom. And look, Dom looked springy. I mean, he looked kind of back to his own self. I mean, his timing wasn't perfect, but at least the athleticism was there. I think that's a good sign. But this is kind of a crazy play and just a massive error by Brentford, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it even felt, even from the first kickoff, it felt like a lot of our offense was being generated by those sort of one aerials deep in the opponent's area. Um, but this one is really, again, like so many moments in this match, out of seemingly nothing. Dom wins the long ball, flicks it on. Richarlison is making the run behind him, which just that combination of those two guys, like now Dom is the focal point of the aerials, not Richarlison, and Richarlison can do what he does well. In this case, again, get in behind and Richie gets cut off by Beck, who again is already on a yellow. He completely whiffs at the ball, comes across Richarlison's body. Richarlison tries to kind of sneak through both defenders, gets brought down. Michael Oliver does not hesitate, points directly to the spot. Richarlison blasts home the penalty. And like you characterized it, Ryan, a complete lifeline to be 2-1 up at half. Again, now just 45 minutes away from securing Premier League safety. The big thing here is, yes, it's a penalty. Yes, it's really great. It should have been a second yellow for Beck, and I don't understand how it wasn't. Yeah, it's complete garbage. I, I don't get this at all. There's no double jeopardy issue here, too. We're talking about a yellow. I mean, Richie gets by him. He reaches out with his hand behind him, and it's obvious. I mean, it's fully extended. Does he grab him and throw him to the ground? No. Richarlison kind of flops. But look, he did it. His arm is extended. There's no play on the ball here whatsoever. That's an immediate yellow for me, if not a borderline red. Now, it wasn't violent or anything, so I could understand maybe not giving him a red, but he's not going for the ball. How on earth is that anything? But, I mean, I don't get it at all. It's an immediate yellow for me. It's a second yellow, and he's off. And Beck is kind of a reckless player at times, too, and I'm sure Thomas Frank was already nervous that he got the, the early yellow, which explains when he subbed him out at half. I don't get this at all. Great penalty by Richarlison. He kind of waits him out and hammers it. And we're in a great spot. But yeah, I was livid at that. Because if he gives that yellow, again, which I just cannot see any reason why he wouldn't, and our guys were in his face yelling for something, the game is totally different now. 
totally different. And frankly, I would argue that when you start playing with a guy down, you've got to kind of develop tactics from scratch. It's a very different situation. And while I probably trust Brentford to be better organized than us in that scenario, just because they've had a coach for a while, they have similar personnel. I think it opens up the door to us massive. It completely changes the game. So I think this is a much worse, much worse call than the first non-shirt tug red uh, penalty. Agree. I, I keep wanting to call it a red card. I, I, think, I think this is inexcusable. I think this is the one example to me where you've just flopped on your judgment. You've completely lost it. You've given all a couple yellows now. We had another one where someone tackled someone just like Alon always does, but apparently that's a yellow now, like it is everywhere else. That is the second yellow to me. There's absolutely no question whatsoever. I That would be the one I would send in the league to say, are we serious? His arm is out like... Anyway, but we go into halftime and we're pretty happy, I guess. But like James, I mean, that's, there's no argument there, right? Isn't that just immediate yellow card to you? I, were you sh- I was shocked that he didn't give one. It's incredible that you could award a penalty for a foul where he's nowhere near the ball and clearly brings the player down and not be given a second yellow. It's a clear yellow anywhere else. For some reason, Oliver keeps the... And he'd been... He hadn't been shy about pulling cards up until this point. I mean, the, the red is the red, but he guarded a bunch of Brentford guys very quickly. So I don't understand the thought process here. I don't understand the decision-making. makes no sense to me. But regardless, we're in at halftime with a 2-1 lead and still down to 10 men. But we are, of course, leading Brentford at this point, 9-8 to eight in shots, albeit six of them came before the red. As expected, 65-34 possession in favor of Brentford. Their pass success is much better. They have more dribbles. We've won just as many aerials. They've out-tackled us. We've had more corners. So kind of a wash, but you know that just they're eventually going to have more time as the team continues to tire. They can sit on it. They can wait us out, and they can eventually exploit us. And Frank chooses to make, Frank Thomas Frank, that is, chooses to make a halftime sub, as you said. He takes Beck off, which I think is huge because he was should have been redded at that point. He wasn't. Now they've got that potential gone a fresh body in there and we now have to play the whole second half and try to just shore up shop and see this one out. It's a pretty attacking sub. Um, uh, Jan Elt is, is good with the ball. I mean, he's actually scored some goals. He kind of plays more as a central midfielder. And then eventually Ajer went off for De Silva, which made them very attacking in the 59th. And that just puts that many players that are good, smart players, good passers. And I think they eventually ended up playing kind of three back there almost formally, you know, at that point. But so I'm curious your thought in terms of Frank's tactical choices. It seemed very obvious he's going to sit 4-4-1 there. He had us really compact, like super compact. However, that's kind of how we started. Gordon ended up dealing with Henry. So in essence, you're pushing Gordon out there almost in the Awobi wingback role, which I found curious. I'm kind of like, you've got Alex been playing the same darn role the whole time. Now you're asking him to play as a, a flight out right, right back and you don't sub like you could have subbed in John Joe there and, and maybe kept Awobi back in that role and pulled Gordon out. Maybe you don't want to do that so early. I, I, I don't know. My issue with that is it made us so flat and you still had Decore and Gomes not great as a duo and no one was really conscientiously going out on Erickson or Jansen. I don't understand that, James. Like, at a minimum, I mean, Erickson is far and away their Mastro. You take him out of the game, which isn't hard. He's not going to dribble by you. He's not athletic. You totally changed the game. But we kept letting these guys have time and space on the ball, even in the final third. Surely you think at least subbing Alon in for Andre. What is going on here? Why was Alon not even starting the match? In what universe is Alon not a much better fit 
for this game than Andre Gomes. Can you possibly explain? Is something happening here? I've seen nothing on social media. I don't understand. That would have been the first question I would have asked if I was a press press guy. Yeah, it. I don't under look. Andre's finally come back fit. I can see maybe the justification for wanting to get him in the side. He might have been training well. But after his first half performance and the fact that you're going to need legs in the midfield and an ability to defend in space, two things he is really bad at. Clearly, we're not going to be pressuring them high very much. The one defensive situation where you might get some value out of Andre. So what is the justification to keep him on? And and not even just to keep Andre on, but to keep Alon off the pitch, because we saw him in a brief cameo towards the end of the Watford match. We haven't seen him very much recently. He was really important to all of the good things that we've done recently as a side and a lot of the good things we've done this season. He is probably our best midfielder. And if he's fit, I'm I don't understand why he's not playing and why we don't have a better explanation for it. I agree. I'm also wondering, you could almost play like a back three, five, one. I mean, there are a lot of different things you could do. And that way you put an extra guy in midfield. Um, I, I don't, I don't get it at all. And you know, the sad part is though, they, they had chances and, and look, Erickson had the ball with so much time and space. You had to figure yeah. they're eventually going to punch one in, but ironically they score off what really in essence, another corner. And this one in the 62nd minute, I mean, it's the classic near post flick. The delivery is absolutely flawless, which is what happens. And, and we didn't concede that many corners. So I can't, you know, I can't point to that. Um, we're obviously missing our one tall center half that can win stuff in the air, but you still got Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the, on the pitch. Is this just an amazing po- flick on by Wissa and incredibly lucky did we do something wrong here? Uh, is Pickford at fault? I mean, does he get... This is another one. He is moving when the ball is headed. I, I, I don't understand this stuff. Like, your feet should be planted at this point. You should be reacting to where the ball went. He's so far on the near post. Could he save it anyway? It's a phenomenal flick. Maybe not, but he makes it look a lot better shot than it is by moving. I can't really blame him. I, I don't. This is just dumb luck, James. I'm curious what you think. It's a it's a phenomenal header for me, honestly. I don't think there's. Yeah, you probably need to mark better and not let him Perfect win it in the first place. Too. I mean, yeah, right on his head. And contrast that with our set piece delivery today, but bar the first one, very very poor. Oh. You have a guy like Erickson. Just what a difference he's made to that side in this moment. Puts it right on his head. It's a flick. It just arches very very nicely if you're a Brentford fan, into the far corner, just getting killed on set pieces and getting taken advantage of by Christian Eriksen. It was a little bit of luck, but it was a lot of skill and right place, right time for Wissa. Brentford level again, and now we've now given up two leads. At this point, it felt like, okay, when's when's the third going to come? When are they going to put us out of our misery? Turns out we did not have to wait very long at all. This one's inexcusable to me. This one is much more preventable, and I think it's it's just a bad play overall by us if you're sitting in deep you can't give up goals like this this is the one that drives me crazy but again it's a completely uncontested cross it's a very good cross there's no question rico henry is just way up in the air on this one um and it's a great finish the only criticism i could say is maybe pick's got to be more in the middle but i don't think that's fair on him i mean he's got i don't think his angle's way off you know it's a really good finish i don't blame pickford on this one at all it's far enough away from him he can't rush out and get it or anything it's got to be Anthony Gordon on this one, right? I mean, if his whole point of existence at this point when we're defending is to play out wide on Rico Henry, Wobie's clearly got the guy in front of him. You can't let him get goal side here, can you? No, this one is is really, I think, Anthony Gordon's to own. Watching the replay back, I didn't really 
see it as much live. And it is a phenomenal jump, a phenomenal run by him. But Anthony Gordon just basically caught sleeping. He sees, he looks over his shoulder. He sees Rico Henry. He sees Brentford passing it on the opposite side, kind of outside of the box. And Rico Henry makes a move. Gordon does not react until he's already goal side of him. And at that point, it's way too late. Henry leaps in the air, makes great contact with the header. It's in the back of the net. And in just two minutes, Everton have gone from, again, at this point, what, half an hour or so away from Premier League safety to now staring down the barrel of 3-2 with a man down. And you are just thinking there's no real way that we're going to get ourselves back into this after that. Because Brentford were just dominating the ball passing it around our final third we weren't able to really pressure them very much and yeah you have to be selective in those moments about when you pressure but far too comfortable and you let in guys like erickson spend all day on the ball and pick their cross they're gonna get you eventually i kind of wonder maybe make a sub after the second it's just i don't know i mean change something do something it's not working And, and it wasn't working really the second half of the first half after the red that well um i know we went up but i that was totally against the run of play Nothing had really changed. They were completely dominant at this point. I, I just, I think you've got to make a change here or do something. And look, you've got Anthony Gordon playing in an unfamiliar position. He's not used to defending in the final third. But Alex Awobi has been playing that exact role incredibly well. You know, maybe the sub was it was John Joe Kenny to play right back and move Awobi back. I, I, I don't know, but I think, I think you had to make a change at this point. I probably would have made a change at half, and I still don't understand the Elon thing. But yes, it's pretty much over now. Frank waits until the 72nd to finally sub in Gray and John Joe Kenny for Gordon and Gomes. And I think at this point it's just too too late. It pushes Awobi up higher into the middle. Um, I understand we're playing hoofball at this point. And, and Brentford counter. Of course they counter. They pull off Wissa, bring in a right half, or right back, pardon me. Uh, Rochlev is, is, is a right back by trade and kind of a defensive one. He's got good size. The one chance we did have was DeCorey off this header, and it's not far off. I mean, he elected to not head it back across. I think he saw an opening. I think Raya does pretty well on this one. Um, it was close, though, I have to admit. Totally against the run of play, but very close. Yeah, it was a good chance. It was a, a bit of a long corner, but to the far post, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I think DeCorey doesn't make the best contact, though I like the decision to hit it into the ground. I don't know if that was intentional or not. And Raya does a good job. It, it was kind of looking like it was going into the top corner. He gets over and covers well. We get a corner off of that, but nothing comes from it. And that was kind of the end of it for Everton. There was the one other chance where Dominic Calvert-Lewin was flying into towards the net. Wasn't able to get on the end of it, but I think that was actually in the first half now that I'm saying it. So that was really the one from Decore that was big. And after that, we, again, I just don't agree with the decision to wait until the 72nd to make these substitutions. I'm fine with bringing Damari Gray on because at this point you're down. You have to kind of go for it fully. Um, And we did. We were definitely pushing up. And there were even spells in the last 10 minutes where we were really kind of putting them under a decent amount of pressure but not creating a whole lot. I mean, once we subbed in Rondon in the 84th, it was just you know suicide, throw everything forward. And, um, you know, this red card in the 88th by Solomon Rondon is completely and utterly inexcusable. I cannot believe no one should be arguing this. This is an awful tackle. He should have a suspension on top of his three-game mandatory after this. Uh, this is a horrible tackle in every way. It's two-footed, straight on the ground. This is a red card in... In any league, uh, I, I just, I don't understand this at all. It was kind of hysterical to make this sub anyway. You literally have no defenders in the game, basically. But yeah, we started to get on the ball a little bit. They were so packed in tight, I don't know if we would have ever broken through and gotten the draw, but this ended it at that point, right? I mean, this is, 
Do you see this any other way, James? This is I cannot believe a professional would do this, honestly. No, it was shocking, honestly, to, to watch it live. And, and actually, to be honest, the first time I saw it, I thought he slipped. And it was still a red because you go in with two feet. But, and maybe he did a little bit, but it reminded me a little bit of Ailing's, Luke Ailing's tackle the other week, though he didn't have quite as much momentum behind him. But two-footed studs up is never going to end well. Uh, you can seriously, seriously hurt someone. Unforgivable mistake from Rondon. And look, he owned it immediately. You know, he kind of ran off the pitch and was apologetic, but the damage was done. And in the 88th, any tiny chance remaining of Everton getting an equalizer was completely killed off. And now we've got both those players suspended for the remainder of the season. Um, We'll talk about Frank's comments in a second, but it doesn't seem like we're getting many reinforcements coming back just yet. And so that that hurts more than anything else. Um, And thankfully, you know, no one was seriously injured, but. For a player who had kind of, I think, helped to repair his reputation as an Everton player with his cameo appearances recently, this will leave a sour taste in everyone's mouth for sure. Foolish. But if you look at the second half as kind of a body of work, I mean, it was complete domination by Brentford. And again, they were up a guy. But there's really no adjustments throughout this until later trying to go forward with it. And I just... I don't know what you do here. It's down a man. Yeah, get it's tough. He's got a limited bench in terms of defenders in there. But look at those second half numbers. I mean, 88% pass rate, 77.6 possession. This is second half stats, 10 to 1 in shots. They tactically killed us. I mean, he made several changes, Frank did, in terms of tactically how to set people up. Erickson was running free all over the place. We never closed him down really at all. Andre DeCorey were hopeless. And, and I'll tell you what, thank God they didn't have any more corners. Um, I guess we couldn't get the ball off them anyway, or they didn't need to. I mean, and that's the thing. Smart teams keep the ball. Again, they're, you know, they're up a guy. That's fine. But even if you're up a guy, I mean, there was so little pressure on them at times. I don't know what you do. And they were savvy. They were composed in the back, and that's really what happened. Uh, I will say this. Frank's sub to get Beck out at halftime was really brilliant because he's a bit of a wild card, and they, the team seemed to settle down very much for Brentford, and they felt confident. You could tell. You could tell they felt like they were going to get one. Um, I can't say they had a ton of opportunities to do that. There was certainly some fortunate there, but I also don't think really created a whole, we created a whole lot outside of kind of that first 20 and kind of the gift of the penalty. And the XG said that, I mean, the XG philosophy has got us what James here at 2.2 Everton to 2.03 by Brantford, but you know, 0.76 is that from a penalty and, and look, I, I'm sure they gave, you know, in the third minute, Gordon had that kind of right footed shot flick thing that was a good chance that he didn't do real well with. And then, Richie got submarined on the header. So, I, you know, I, I don't think they probably sit, ca- counted those as separate chances. So I think our number's probably a little bit overstated. Yeah, it didn't feel like, you know, 2.2 was really justified. But anytime you have a penalty thrown in the mix, and again, only one shot in the second half for Everton, and I think only three, only four total after the red card. So none of which were fantastic. So Brentford deserved winners, shot ourselves in the foot. You talk about, you know, just in terms of the run of play, the refereeing decisions obviously played a huge factor. But let's talk a little bit briefly about Frank Lampard's comments post-match. You know, he says what we all kind of think. The game changed on the red card. The whole stadium saw it. Thought we should probably be a couple up at that point. Uh, Thought it was a penalty in the buildup. Thought it was clear. He made a comment about people saying, my players fall over. They don't, but then you don't get the penalty. So maybe you should, which, you know. Good for Frank for speaking candidly. I think that's a fair point. I put out a tweet saying, you know, there's a flopping epidemic and yet the Premier League doesn't want to reward players for staying on their feet. So it's kind of unclear exactly what's going on there. Um, And then just said on the reaction, 
to the red card. He was pleased with everything from the red card on to the 95th minute because, quote unquote, the players gave everything and then went on to say that, you know, looking ahead to the Palace match, which we'll touch on, they'll go again. We'll all go again. So, Ryan, any thoughts on Lampard's comments post-match? He obviously, you know, gave a few more and had some more things to say, but those were kind of the highlights. We should be up a couple at that point. No, you shouldn't. I, I don't understand that comment at all. And I think it speaks to Frank's philosophy a little bit. Um, this is Everton. This isn't Chelsea. So, I mean, you've got to generate, and we're not going to sit there and bang in three or four goals in the first 20 minutes by putting pressure on these guys. I mean, it's a Premier League. I mean, I, I don't... That attitude, I think, has to change a little bit. He's got to be a little bit more measured. Um, and I think the idea that you felt like you could play that much on the front foot, I, I can't say it really came to bite us in the tail because, like I said, it didn't play out you know, because of the red card. But I think to do that, knowing that you're supported with Decore and, and Andre, as well as two you know, very, one poor decision-making center half and one who's just a kid who's 19, I, I, I just... I thought whether it happened on the red that way dramatically enough or it happened in another fashion, I think that's playing a, a bit into them. So I, I don't know if that would have played out the way he thought it would have. Um, it seems like the success we've had recently has been playing that 5-4-1 and playing very defensively. Uh, Manchester United win was not, but we were still playing pragmatically and playing behind the ball. That's how we beat Chelsea. That's how we beat Leicester. And Paul and I were going forth on this in the discord. And my point to Paul was like, I, I get it. He wasn't saying play expansively either. I, I don't want to mischaracterize his argument, but my point was getting stretched out at all in any way. Has that ever gotten us a win playing like that on the front foot, even for the first 20 minutes? Has that ever, has that ever given us a win? And it hasn't. No. So I'm not quite sure. I understand the approach from the get go. There is logic behind it. I'm not saying there's not tactical logic, you know, closing down on their guys quickly in their own half. So they can't release that long ball or it makes it harder to release long. Ball. I get that. I get it. I mean, it's not like a madness thing. You know what I'm saying, James? Yeah. But I think it's very naive to suggest we should, we, we should have had a couple. Frankly, the only one we got was off a set piece. So I, I, I don't know. That, that's just my, that's my take. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to build confidence for his guys, but um, it looks like we, we should have Michael Keane back for Thursday, which I think is a massive difference for us, but it didn't get, you didn't get the impression from him that even Ben Godfrey would be back. I mean, that's, well, I know he's been talking about Ben returning, so I'd, I'd love to see Ben Godfrey back in the fray. It, he wasn't committal on either. He said Keane definitely because of the nature of his illness, it would be a short term thing and seemed kind of to indicate that no other players were likely to return and even said, what you see is what you get in terms of Everton at the moment. So now we're down two extra bodies. Keen back to replace Branthwaite will make a big difference, but will it be enough? We'll we'll have to see. In terms of performances, Ryan, I mean, there, we don't have a ton of stats in here, and it was pretty much a lot of clearances. But we did have, I just wanted to touch on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, his first start in a, quite a while. He gets the goal on his return, which deserves an asterisk on it. But he did win eight aerials, which was five more than any other player on the pitch and ended with a tackle. I thought at full strength, he looked really dangerous. It was nice to finally have a focal point for our persistent kicks of long balls up the pitch. He seemed to be able to get on the end of them and occupy defenders very well. Richarlison playing off him ended with three key passes, a goal, and he gets the assist uh, for the Dominic Calvert-Lewin goal with a massive asterisk next to it and finished with four shots. So it unleashes, I think, having both of them on the pitch at the same time helps get the best out of both of them. Um, and I saw Dominic Calvert-Lewin sort of stretching towards 
the latter stages of the game. Hopefully he's still fit and it was just cramp or something of that nature because boy, it made a big difference having him on the pitch for the, you know, the brief period where even strength and able to try to go toe to toe with Brentford today. Yeah. I mean, Richardson was outstanding today. I mean, the guy gave everything and uh, he was dangerous. There's no question about it. Um, you know, I thought from a defensive standpoint, Mikalinko was fantastic. I mean, Mbumo is is there like really an important threat on that side, and he basically shut that down. I mean, Mbumo's been like the worst finisher in the league this year, but I'm talking in terms of as a creative output, um, he completely locked him down. Two tackles, three interceptions, three clearances, and he was rock solid. Um, his crossing was off, but not really his bread and butter. I think he was zero, zero for five. I mean, Gordon was one for five, so it's not like we crossed the ball well. Damari Gray actually threw in a couple dangerous ones. And, you know, I I think you look at it and say, Alex Awobi, again, he took care of the ball. This is what you're getting from Alex when he plays that position, though. You know, he's the only guy that had an over 90% pass completion rate. Um, he did have a key pass, but you know, you've taken out his creative source. They, they moved him back into the middle, but we really couldn't get on the ball enough for him to make a difference. Um, three for five and long balls again, you know, and, and he was one for two from crosses and defensively, the guy had two interceptions, two clearances, one block shot. I mean, his effort is unbelievable right now, but you know, there are just too many guys that just. You know, just, I mean, Seamus had six clearances, but I think that's more just a byproduct of us playing behind the, uh, behind the ball. It just, it just wasn't yeah. enough. Once we took the red card, I think it just, you know, the whole game changed. Now, if Beck gets the second yellow, I think things are totally different going into half 2-1, uh, but it is what it is. We've got some great listener comments, though, that I think can sum up a lot of this, probably even better than I could. So we might as well get right to those suckers. Any last words, James? No, let's throw it to the listeners because, yeah, as you say, they are quite eloquent. Jaden Sherman. Long-time listener, Mr. Shermanator8. That game perfectly summed up Everton that. Game started so brightly and had three or four nothing written all over it before the red. Shocking officiating. Massive, massive game against Palace. Really don't want to go to Arsenal needing a result. I think we'll touch on that when we touch on the table. But Jaden could not possibly agree more with that last bit of set sentiment. And really the whole assessment as a whole, it felt very Everton that indeed. Yeah, and and then the question becomes, you know, is it how much is is refereeing? How much is is it bad luck due to injury and and tactics? And Casey Griffin at C underscore Griff three one four, I think, tries to capture this all and does so pretty well. His line is, I think we can call this equal parts poor tactics when down to ten. Bad luck with no fit center halves on the bench and poor refereeing. However, without the latter, we wouldn't have been in the situation to begin with. Here's hoping Godfrey, Keane, and DCL are fit for thursday that's a pretty good summary of the match i think james in one short little character limited tweet it is indeed and we also had tim bridal at tim underscore bridal love this line incredible incompetence or incredible corruption by the referees also everton that fans players everyone need to give everything for a win on thursday and not wait until the final game of the season we then had Matt S at Matt Stan 11. Every time this team gives me hope, joy, or something to be proud of, they embarrass me. Honestly, how much can we all take? And yeah, it's we just felt it felt so good. Just two matches ago, less than two weeks ago, we were coming off back-to-back victories and seemingly had at long last escaped any major threat of relegation. And yet, Ryan, here we are now. Two games remain. And... You're left at this point, we've kind of beaten it into the ground, but you're left looking back just last match. 
in what was a golden chance that would have now at this point seen us fully safe against Watford. And I know we've, you know, hindsight is what it is, but we had Danny EFC and, and you who had a bit of an exchange who Danny said, anyone still thinking that was the right approach at Watford then? Yeah, this goes back and forth, and at Blues of Goodison jumps in here as well, too. His point was, yeah, the draw will probably do nothing for us now. Should have gone for it. Um, it's not that we didn't go for it, necessarily, but I have an issue with the setup, really. I mean, I, I just don't I don't understand the consistency from game to game. Obviously, you go down a guy, so you got to adjust the way you're playing today. But we were playing differently today than we did against Watford. So I don't understand why this is so complicated to necessarily change when you've got a couple days to prepare. I mean, there's some managers that swear they don't even think about the system or formation until right before the match so you know you have a way you want to play but i felt like we went against that again today so i don't look here was my thought at the time i think beating that sorry watford team who lost 5-1 today by the way against lester beating that watford team which is in essence their bc team with the manager that's completely dead man walking no crowd there all everton fans was a much easier task than getting any results from our last three games. And people looked at me like I was crazy. People were talking about this Brentford team like they're in League One. They're not. They're a really good side. And no one should be surprised that we lost today necessarily. Maybe the way it happened was overly dramatic. I just felt like that was our opportunity. And and I still believe this. And I, I still thought we were going down after the Burnley game. And, and, and I still say this. 36 points. Getting the draw on that one. I didn't think we were going to get another point the rest of the way. I didn't think we were going to beat Brentford. Because I feel like the pressure is on us, James, you know, now it's not like, look, your backs are against the wall against Lester. The fans are behind you. You know how you're going to play. You're going to play behind the wall. You're going to make it a ball. You're going to make it ugly. You're going to make it a mess. You've got kind of your identity. You know, you got to rally through. And, and I felt Chelsea was a little bit ripe for the taking. Lester had been playing awful. Brentford's were playing well going into this match. I, I, can we beat this palace team? I mean, they're not playing amazingly well, but they're a good side and we're not. People keep forgetting we're not. And then you look at this lineup today. It, I guess my point is this. Beating Watford, I think, wasn't that hard a task. And I think our setup was wrong. I think the way we approached the game was wrong. We almost seemed content with the tie, a draw. And I think that was a massive mistake because there's so much that can happen in a three-game span. And I thought that was a much easier task than even getting a tie against any of these games, let, let alone a win. And that's how I felt. And I still feel that way. And I, I really believe our chance of staying up this year, this is as sad as it can be, is sitting on 36 points and having the, the other two teams screw up. I mean, all Leeds has to do is tie and lose, and we're in. And, and I feel like, sadly, that's what I'm banking on. That, how pathetic is that? Yeah, it feels, it feels not good, right? Because Palace, well, look, we know, we know this Palace team. They thrashed us in the FA Cup most recently. It was not remotely close. Played off the park. They look a completely resurgent side this season. Vieira, candidate for manager of the year. And though they don't really have anything material to play for, they are just a side that have far more confidence, a, I think a better cohesive approach, and are just in, in better form than us. And Leeds, you know, they're terrible. But they, I think getting that last-minute equalizer today might be kind of the thing that galvanizes them. So I, that said, all we need them to do is lose. And now we have to turn around and basically hope Brentford beats them next week because that would secure our place. Burnley have two games remaining as well. They're two points behind us. And they've, you know, after the their resurgence under Mike Jackson, they've lost two in a row. So I think you're right, Ryan. It's going to come down to, and we said this as we were discussing very early on in the season when the relegation picture, when we were still sort of unconvinced, the line was always, there are three teams worse than us. Well, 
We're about to find out in these last couple games if that is the case. And it may very well be the sole reason we stay up that there are now. We know there's two. Is there a third? That is the question. You look at this lineup, too. I mean, that's a big part of it. The injuries have killed us. And and I don't, you know, Pickford stood on his head in those two wins, really, very much. And it may take that again. And I just, any lineup that has Mason Holgate playing at center half, I, I don't have confidence in James. I just don't. And I mean, sir, what is he going to come back with in the midfield? Is he going to come back with Andre again? Is Alon, I don't understand the Alon emission. And I'm just looking at it. You look at the remaining games. So if Burnley ties one and loses one, we're in. If Leeds does not beat Brentford, which is important because they're playing at Brentford. The problem with Brentford is they give up a lot of goals. Now, is Brentford the type of team that's smart enough that can exploit Leeds? Yes, I think so. I think there's a good chance they'll win or tie. I, th- I think that's on our fav- in our favor. But a lot of things can happen, man. A lot of luck. And you look at the table, I mean... Brentford has something to play for. I mean, if they were to win and Brighton were to maybe tie or, or, or to lose, they can jump a couple guys. Leicester, same thing. But, I mean, they got two games left. I, Brentford doesn't have that much to play for. A couple million bucks in space in places. That, that's about it. But they're secure. They're good. Um, does Villa have a lot to play for against Burnley? I mean, you start looking at these things. It's like, no, no. And so the teams that are facing relegation have everything to play for. Leeds is going to go there with fire and brimstone, man. And Brentford couldn't even deal with us early in this match when we were that way. So, yeah, I'm seriously concerned. And I, I just don't, I don't see us being Palace. And that's, that's what it is. I just felt like our opportunity was the Watford match. And think about it. If we won that match, what's going on right now, James? It's over. We're in. We're partying. No problems. We're partying right. with safety for our 300th episode instead. And look, you know, we haven't even mentioned the Arsenal match because I really think it comes down to Palace. Like, there's, I think, less than, a, in my mind, less than a 1% chance if we don't get a result against Palace that we're going to all of a sudden turn around three days later. No. God knows what the result, and, and go go to the Emirates and get a result. you got to be kidding me. No, Arsenal, need, Arsenal has a lot to play for, too. They're in Spurs. are right. going back and forth here in Champions League spots. I mean, of co- that's a massive game for them. I mean, they may have to win that match. I mean, who does Spurs have? Spurs on the last day have Norwich. Are you kidding? What do we Jeez. think is going to happen in that one? Right, exactly. I mean, that game's over. There's no way in heck Spurs, even under Conte, are even going to entertain losing that one. So if that's the case, I mean, Arsenal has to win. <laughs> doesn't feel good. It's not good, man. No, it really doesn't. But again, I, you know what? I'm a huge Brentford fan today. Let's hope all our comments about the smart guys usually win out. Let's hope they show up and actually play really well. But look, we still can take care of business if we if we can beat Crystal Palace. And there is still a chance that, you know, honestly, even a draw against Palace yeah. is massive. If we draw against Palace and Burnley do not win, which Burnley doesn't score a lot of goals. Like, wins aren't easy to come by for that team. And they've won seven matches all year. That could make a huge difference. But you're right, winning, we're safe. Even a draw against yeah. Arsenal. I mean, you never know what can happen, James, but I just... I don't want to belabor the freaking pot, but I, I just, I just felt like that was our chance. I do not realize, I think realize people how bad re- people realize how bad that Watford team was, but that's how I felt. And today, today was just kind of a combination of crazy things, man. And that can happen as Ronald Koeman used to say, oh, but that's football. <sighs> do we really have to end the pot on that note? I mean, we're going to reference no, we a Ronald Koeman reference, else. Ryan. God. Look, the bottom no. line is I know the I know the bobblers and the fans will do their part, though. I mean, you know what I mean? It's up to the players. And, and look, if we get some guys back, Michael Keane, I think, does make a difference. 
He does. Um, and even a draw against Palace could make a difference too. It really could. But the, you know, Leeds also, we're not going to beat Burnley on goal differential either. That's a problem. If we drew, yep. if we drew and Burnley got crushed, you know, we'd be in because Burnley can't, you know, anyway. I just can't believe not it's coming in, down to these. Can't believe it's coming down to these conversations about goal differentials and other teams getting points. It just felt like it would have been all too easy for Everton to seal their own fate. But we know, like Ryan, this time last year, we were talking about Everton having an outside shot of somehow winning matches to get into the last European place. And we had all the opportunity in the world to do that and let that slip as well. And it feels like this is a similar thing where we're going to have plenty of opportunities and have had plenty of opportunities and just watch them slip out of our fingers. The only thing I will say is when I look at Palace as a matchup, it's Wilf Zaha on the left side the whole time, right? I got to admit, if we've got our personnel down, Alex Awobi in that right wing back spot dealing with Wilfred Zaha, which would be the most poetic thing in the world considering us and our inability to get the Zaha deal over the line resulted in us getting Awobi, basically. Um, that's a decent matchup for us, honestly. I mean, because it seemed like we we did really well when teams were oriented and attacking down the left side. Like when they subbed Barnes in the other day in the second half, when they when they were trying to attack through Alonzo, we we stuffed that thing. So I, I think it's it's one little thing of optimism, I suppose, to end on a little bit. I just don't know how we're going to deal with Connor Gallagher down the middle. That guy is just an absolute engine. But they're Palace. I mean, it's not like we're playing Man City. It's not like we're playing Man City, folks, and that is a good note to end on. Certainly better than any reference to previous Everton managers, so we'll call it there. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the American Toffee Podcast, our 300th. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Reminder to join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP, and to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at USA Toffee Pod. You can find all of the links in the description. Otherwise... We will be with you following said Crystal Palace match on Thursday. Fingers crossed it works out for the best. Until then, until next time, up the toffees.